0: Hey guys, welcome back to Lords of Order, a DC Dr. Fate fan podcast. This is episode 58, and I am your host, Ed Moore. Be aware, here there be spoilers. If you want to send an email, I'll get that at the Dr. Fate fan podcast at gmail.com. Website, BigTimeNoise.com slash DrFate, where you can find the episodes, of course, and leave comments, should you choose. Lords of Order has Google Plus and Facebook pages. Comments are there. As I will get to in discussing a comment that Kyle Benning left earlier uh, in December. And T-E-A-L Productions on Twitter, if you want to tweet me, or tweet me, or whatever you want to call it. More Fun Comics, issue 76, the 1936 volume, uh, first volume. Cover dated 1942. Once again, Dr. Fate has the cover, but this time he has the second story. I don't know what would have relegated him from one to two. So, this is scripted by Gardner Fox, penciled, inked, and lettered by Howard Sherman. The story is entitled The King of Crime, and should you want to find this story or other more fun comics, Dr. Fate stories. You can find that in the Golden Age Dr. Fate archives, DC publish, published excuse me, in 2007. Now we open with a full-page uh, panel, and at the bottom are three insets that continue the story. The main panel has a chessboard set up with people, standing in the different places, Dr. Fate being one of those people, and a large hand uh, either reaching for him, or I kind of get the impression that the hand has placed him and it's pulling back. You can't really tell. But the narrator tells us, Master of the destinies of men and women is Michael Kruger, crime's chessman, a player who uses mortal pawns on his giant checkered board in a game of life and death, and on the chess field, helpless, is Dr. Fate, man of mystery, who plans a daring move to checkmate the king of crime. It sounds much more than actually the story turns out to be. The story doesn't live up to that necessarily. So, Alright, um, we start inside the richly furnished study of Michael Kruger, brilliant psychologist and chess player, in his home that he calls The Castle, after the chess piece. Uh, he's playing a gentleman here and beats him. Gentleman's name is Bates. And then as part of the uh, wager, Kruger relays that he he understands that Bates is having some financial difficulty. And that if Bates steals his wife's emerald, the Sultan of Singapore, and gives it to Kruger, he will give him $100,000, which is enough money to allow... Bates to continue to live um, in the manner to which he has become accustomed, apparently. So two evenings later, we're at the Cardwell Bates residence. So there's the first name of Bates that we just saw, Cardwell. And um, introductions are being made as people are entering the party. Uh, First up is Inza Carmer and Mr. Kent Nelson. Now, Inza Carmer... Raises a question that I checked into. Apparently, this is the third of three names that the female paramour for Kent Nelson has been given Inza Kramer, Inza Sanders, as last issue, and Inza Karmer. Now, finally, somewhere in the Silver Age, they settle on Inza Kramer as who this character's name is going to be. Apparently, in the Golden Age, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seven times they used variations of those three names so uh, but Kent Nelson was uh, consistent throughout i don't know you know why they could get one right and not the other uh, so they're introduced and we see at the line uh, at, the, at the reception line some small talk outside some thugs that have been sent by Kruger to steal the or Actually, to create a diversion so that Bates can steal the emerald, break into the house. Inza and Kent come up on a plan. They, they devise a quick plan where Inza provides a distraction by fainting so that everybody pays attention to her and nobody sees that Kent whisks himself off. But he does return as Dr. Fate. Now, when he does, he snuck outside. So he's outside, getting ready to come in, and to keep him out, they simply slam the door shut. Well, Kent tells him, or Kent says, as he rushes to the door, "If the mountain won't come to Mahomet, Mahomet will go to the mountain." Now, I know that saying is using the word Mohammed, so I don't know if they're trying to not say Mohammed or if it is supposed to be Mahomet, M-A-H. O-M-E-T, Mahomet. So, that kind of caught my eye there. So, we already know, because we have seen Dr. Fate, but the narrator tells us, closed doors prove no barrier for the wraith-like Dr. Fate. So, he he ghosts through the door, comes up on the men. Oh boy, more banter here, like last issue. Bad, bad banter, like last issue. Dr. Fate punches the first 'er ne'er-do-well, saying... By playing tag, tag, you're it, as a carryover of what he had been saying the previous panel. Or would you prefer a game of darts as he picks up the second and starts swinging him around by the heels, lets him go, saying, there you are, bullseye, as the one he let go collides with the other one that he punched, head to head. Head to head. I don't know that either one of these guys would really live from that. Or if they did, they would certainly have to be going through the concussion protocols now, and they would not be able to continue in the game later. Have, you know, whichever you, you want to look at it as. Bates's wife, who has to be the most masculine drawn female I believe that I have ever seen. Um, and I guess that's because she's intended to be older, like Bates is. They're, they're an older couple. But she looks very, very, at the head, very masculine. Okay, now I don't mean like a masculine female. I mean like a male wearing a dress. The the face is that bad. Inza is in uh, both of these panels, actually, and she looks like Inza. Uh, One of the panels even has another female that looks very feminine and and femalely. Female-like? Female-like. But the old, the, the, the wife to Bates, Mrs. Bates, the owner of the Emerald, um, she, she, she looks rough. She's, yeah. So uh, they realize that the Emerald is now gone. Uh, no one knows, and Dr. Fate cannot discern where it is, who has it, or anything like that. So he decides, rather than roughing up these guys or searching them or anything like that, that he'll let them go and follow them back to wherever they came from to cause the problem that they caused. And he will ultimately find the emerald that way. So he lets them go, follows them. They go back to Kruger, tell him what went down. He curses them for bringing Dr. Fate down upon them. But he comes up with the idea. He says, Dr. Fate, he's a new." piece on my human chessboard. I shall have to devise a way to beat him. The doorbell. That must be Bates. I'm expecting him. Having stolen the emerald, he is now bringing it to Kruger to get the hundred thousand uh, dollars. Unbeknownst, at the beginning of the meeting, Dr. Fate has found them and is listening in, realizes what Bates has done. As Bates is leaving, he sees in a mirror that Dr. Fate has heard the whole thing and now realizes that Dr. Fate is on to him and will uh, you know, hold him accountable for the true theft of the Emerald. So he decides to try to, to get away. The men that accompany him, who are under the command of Kruger, have been told by Kruger to kill Bates when they get a chance. So Dr. Fate starts following them because he heard that command in order to save Bates. So Bates is running from Fate. The, go- the, the two men from Kruger that are accompanying Bates are accompanying him to take him out somewhere to kill him. Dr. Fate is accompanying all three to save Bates's life. So they go outside. Uh, Dr. Fate... Subdues the men again with banter. Uh, I think we ought to sign a disarmament treaty because the one pulled a knife and was going to stab Bates. Uh, he says, uh, the the second one that Dr. Fate, let's uh, see, uh, yeah, I think it's the second one that Dr. Fate is fighting, says, ow, my jaw. And Fate says, you ache all over, don't you? Oh, man. And then he runs up on a, on, Uh, the first thug who has now recovered and has pulled a gun on Dr. Fate runs up to him saying, button, button, who's got the button? And sticks his finger in the barrel of the gun. See, Dr. Fate is going all hokey here. And and, uh, it's just, it's not necessary. You don't have to do that. Although, maybe in 1942 they did in order to make sales. I don't know. But, wow, it's getting bad. Then he says, right on the button. Guess I win that game, eh? As he punches the guy and knocks him out. He grabs up uh, Bates, takes him home. Meanwhile, Kruger is waiting at his house and gives an order for the remaining thugs. You know, a, a couple were just beat up by Dr. Fate. So the remaining thugs, Kruger order, orders to go to the Bates' house at the party and grab everybody that's left there and bring them back to Kruger's uh, place. Uh, Fate drops Kruger off there at the Bates' house, lets Inza know that he's okay, goes back to Kruger's place to defeat him. When he gets there, Kruger tricks him to come into a particular room in which he's sitting, and then at the last minute, as Dr. Fate tries to attack, he leaves the room via a swinging door the wall that the chair he's sitting against swings um you know opposite uh, 180 degrees and the wall shuts and leaves behind a, a steel solid steel door the room is apparently airtight and begins to fill with a gas that renders dr fate unconscious before he can do anything the bad guys arrive with all the guests from kruger's party excuse me, Bates party. And Kruger says, good evening, you are all my guests. I invite you to a game of chess with life as a reward if you win, death if you lose. Inza says, oh, if fate were only here. And Kruger says, well, actually, observe him unconscious, but I will revive him that he may know the brilliance of the man he tried to overcome. And Inza again says, he he will never let you kill those people. So Fate is uh, not resuscitated per se, but he's allowed to recover from being gassed. At the time he was being gassed, Dr. Fate conveniently told us that that was the only weakness he had was his lungs, and apparently we know that, um, if not from previous stories, of course, but by the fact that he stuck his finger in the gun of the one thug that he was trying to beat there, and... He, he does some under other sleight of hand with a pistol here in a little bit that proves that uh, his body, anyways, is impervious to most forms of harm, which changes over time. Uh, he will become more human-like in his weaknesses and his foibles, but still be able to wield the power that Dr. Fate has, the magics of order. Uh, Kruger tells Dr. Fate what has gone on, and that he will be in command of one side of the chessboard, Kruger in command of the other, life to the winner, death to the loser. So the game starts, and where normally, you know, you, you capture a piece of your opponent, you know, the, the two sides are Kruger and all of his and not all, but his men, and then Dr. Fate and the guests from the party. Now, we don't really see that Kruger subdues any guests from the party, but in order to advance the game, you would have to assume he does at some point. However, we do see when Dr. Fate um, subdues people, because he has inserted himself in the game as the black queen's bishop. So he's black, Kruger is white. Fate is the queen's bishop, black. So as he's going around the board under his own command he's he's you know telling all the moves for the black side he is physically beating Kruger's men as as you would capture the pieces until finally the men are giving up because of course every time they encounter fate they get busted up pretty good Kruger curses them for being the cowards that they are and Dr. Fate with more banter is uh, defeating the men and and now he's starting to talk to kruger and kruger tells him well that's fine you may win the game but actually i'll win because enzo will die Uh, at that point fate decides that he needs to do something other than just you know participate in the little messed up chess game that they've got going on here so he runs through the door that kruger uh escaped out of hoping that it was unlocked and indeed it was kruger hadn't thought to lock it after he got in there to um revive fate and and this is the same room that the chess game has been occurring in so he rushes kruger kruger grabs up inza and has a pistol And as he fires the pistol, as Kruger does, Fate puts his hand up against the pistol and causes it to backfire, to blow back on Kruger. Damaging his hand, he knocks Kruger out with the quip, here's one thing that never backfires, my straight right to the jaw. Um, We get back to the party, everybody, you know, thanks everybody. We get some more of the... Uh, Mrs. Bates that is so masculine-looking here. Actually, the way she's drawn, she reminds me of somebody, and it's not coming to me. It might be somebody in, like, the Shazam uh, pantheon of characters, although I know pantheon's not the right word. Um, But She reminds me of somebody that I've seen in a comic book from the Golden Age, and I I can't remember who it is. And in the last panel, Kent and Enza are out doing some shopping Kent says, I want to buy a chess board and learn the rules. The game's still new to me. And Enza says, oh, no, you don't. I've seen just about all the chess I ever want to. Let's buy a Tiddlywinks or a, a tittle, uh, tittle tittlewinks. I always thought it was pronounced Tiddlywinks, but th- this is spelled Tiddlewinks game um, instead, she says. So she has no stomach for any more chess. All right, now, as I said, I do have some feedback from Mr. Kyle Benning. He said, Ed, I'm totally with you on your frustration with the decompressed storytelling method in current comics and the especially long drug-out story arc running through the current Dr. Fate series. Now, this is in reference to issue 56, where I discussed the current Dr. Fate volume, issue 6. He continues, in fact, I was fed up and tired of it with the fourth issue of the series and quit picking it up. Decided I'd wait for the trade if the story seemed to pick up in your coverage of subsequent issues. Well, thank you, Kyle, uh, for that uh, vote of uh, confidence, you know, uh, that my coverage is uh, decent enough anyways that you can judge for yourself whether based on what I say you think it would be something you would like to read. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, of course, as proven by your coverage in this episode, they're stri- still dragging this story. Out. Yes, they are. <laughs> the premise has potential and is interesting, but I feel like it has so much—like it was so much better realized and executed—with the Marvel character, the Arabian Knight, in one of my all-time favorite issues of the Incredible Hulk, issue 257. In that single issue, Bill Mantlo and Sabah Shema managed to do more work with a man of Arab descent tapping into special powers that are his Egyptian birthright to defeat ancient demons, uh, the ancient demons Gog and Magog, than this creative team has managed to do with our new Dr. Fate in half a year. Uh, I agree. (laughs) Dr. Fate wields one of the most powerful ancient weapons from the old world. I guess I want that wielder to be a little more competent and interesting than a third-rate Spider-Man knockoff. Embrace the power and kick some butt! This Dr. Fate is a far cry from the hero of the same name that wowed me in Joe Pascoe's and Walter Simonson's first issue special number nine. Uh, Which, again, I agree with, and uh, for those of you that don't know Dr. Fate or are aware of uh, Dr. Fate, that is one of the seminal Fate stories, uh, according to many Dr. Fate fans, uh, and will be, um, uh, has been covered, will be covered, we'll be covered so thank you Kyle for that bit of feedback, Uh, thanks everybody for listening next episode I will be talking about Dr. Fate's portion of All Star Comics issue 9, the 1940 volume, the first volume wherein we see Adventures of the Justice Society of America for those of you that may be new to the show So I'll talk to you guys again with issue 59 and my thoughts on All-Star Comics 9. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production. And as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0 unported license.